We're going to be kicking off our Advent series this morning um, here today, and we're going to be doing that the next four Sundays as we lead into Christmas, uh, our Christmas Eve service on the fifth Sunday. Um, and in thinking about Advent, I was trying to, I was thinking, you know, when you're brand new to the church, you hear a lot of church terms, a lot of church words um, that maybe sound a little familiar, but you're not sure what they mean. And, and when you've been in the church a long time, sometimes there are words uh, that you hear often at church. Um, but if you were asked to define it or, or asked to give its meaning, it's like that term is so familiar you start to think, wait a minute, what is that really all about? So I just want to take a moment and explain Advent, and that'll lead into our uh, series and, of course, our sermon here this morning. So Advent, quite simply, the word means arrival, and it's celebrated around this Christmas time as the, the church has, for, um, for many, many years now, used this time to think about and celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the arrival, of course, of, of Christ as we look to celebrate his, his birth, his arrival here on earth. But more than that, the church is waiting, not, not just for the celebration of the birth of the Messiah, but ultimately waiting and celebrating and anticipating his return. And so the church celebrates waiting during this time. It uses the discipline of waiting during this time. The church is called to be people who wait, who wait ex expectantly, just as Israel longed for the Messiah to one day come, so too Christians long for their Savior to come again. Advent is a time to reflect, to think about the humble and unexpected nature of Jesus' coming, to think about and reflect upon all that he taught, all of the prophecies that he fulfilled, to adore the work done on the cross for our sakes and anticipate that he will come again and he will rule and is ruling and reigning. So there are four words that the church has used over the years to reflect upon during Advent. We're gonna study those this year over the next four Sundays. As we head in towards Christmas, those four words are hope, peace, love, and joy. And today we're gonna look at at hope. And hope, hope can take on various meanings. I think a lot of times hope takes on a superficial term, right? I hope the weather's going to be nice outside today as you were preparing Thanksgiving food. I hope the food doesn't get burnt or I hope it tastes good. Some of us were hoping a certain team was going to win yesterday. I don't know if that's too soon. Okay. But I think hope is more than that. There was a group of college students who were wrestling. This is about 12 years or so ago now. They were wrestling with, there were a lot of suicides happening around them. And they were trying to think, what do we do? How do we change this? And they started something that they called a campaign for hope. They went out and bought disposable cameras. Apparently you could still buy those back then. And they gave them to elementary students and they said, go out and take pictures. Find the things that give you hope. And the kids came back with pictures of their friends, their family, their dogs. They took pictures of landscapes, of mountainside. They even took a picture of a basketball going through a basketball hoop. When we think about hope this morning, I want to think about more than just sort of the superficial definition of hope. Those kids were looking for things. They were looking around them and taking pictures of things that gave life meaning and purpose. They were looking for things that they could anchor their soul to through the storms of life. Hope has a much deeper meaning 
and a greater sense of purpose. And that's what I hope that we can explore here today. We're going to do that through our passage in Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn to that. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 22. That's in page 857. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you, I would think. Use that. Turn to page 857 in that Bible. And you can keep that Bible if you don't have one. That's our gift to you here this morning. I'm going to ask to do just something a little different here this morning. I'm going to ask that we stand and read God's word together. I'm going to read our passage this morning. So if you're able, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? Luke chapter 2, verses 22. I'm going to go all the way to 28, or 38, I'm sorry. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now are you letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that we have the privilege to come into your presence and to study and learn. And I just pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can have a seat. So again, we're studying hope, the first of our four Sundays here in our Advent series. And I think this passage has a lot to teach us about hope. Three things that I see in this passage about hope. The necessity of hope, the nature of hope, and the impact of hope. The necessity, the nature, and the impact of hope. Let's get into it. The first thing we learn about hope is the necessity of hope, that we need hope. We learn this through our two, two characters in our narrative, Simeon and Anna. Simeon was old. He was waiting a lifetime for what it says in verse 25, the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah. He was longing for his arrival. 400 years of silence Jerusalem's been through. 400 years since the last prophet. And before the 400 years, it wasn't that much better before then either. Exile, rebellion, a never-ending cycle 
of, of disobedience and waywardness by Israel. Jerusalem, again, the context at the time, Jerusalem is under Roman rule. The Jewish culture and their way of life is being threatened by outsiders. Religious leaders were comprised of self-righteous Pharisees who did not speak with authority. Simeon, like many in Israel, had been waiting generations for God to show up and accomplish what he had promised to Abraham, to Moses, and to David. A psalm that came into my mind as I was preparing for this, thinking about this waiting, this necessity of hope, this need for hope. Psalm 13, David pens this. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This, I think, was Simeon. Simeon needed hope. He needed something to hold on to in the silence, something to hold on to in the waiting. Then we meet Anna, starting in verse 36. She was from the tribe of Asher, at best a forgotten tribe, more likely a, a largely extinct tribe of Israel. She was a widow for most of her life, verse 37. What had life offered her? What does she have to show for her life? Her distinguishing characteristic, read it. Look at this in the text. The first characteristics it uses to describe Anna is that she's old. That's what she has to take care of, take with her. She's a woman without a family, an Israelite without a Roman territory. Just like Simeon, she was an elderly descent of Abraham from a decimated generation. She was a faithful believer in a faithless world. She was part of a remnant few. Anna needed hope. And I think Simeon and Anna, they're no different than us. I think Christmas time a lot of times brings out our need for hope. Loved ones are no longer at family gatherings. The strained relationships are often heightened during this Christmas time. Sometimes I think the season of of presents and, and gifts and travel. They amplify the stress and worry in our financial state. There's oftentimes just a gap between the idealized version of Christmas that we see on the TV or watching movies or reading a book and the realities of sadness, loss, and anxiety. Even the Christmas story, think about the Christmas story and all the events leading up to and including Christ's birth. We tend to think that the Christmas story ends, traditionally ends when the Magi come to town, right? When the wise men come to visit the Messiah, to visit the King. But what happens right after that? Mary and Joseph get Jesus, have to pack up and leave because there's a murderous rampage of going on by King Herod. Matthew 2.18 says this, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. They needed hope in this time and in this season. We need hope here in Akron and here at the chapel. I was reminded last week as I was wandering around after service and I saw prayer cards scattered amongst the pews. Right, many of you had these as you walked in here this morning. And then I went out back and I saw just stacks of them still remaining, prayer cards, cards that are people crying out desperate because we need God's help, we need God to show up. And I grabbed just a few here this morning. 
the one I was praying for here during our prayer time was all about physical health. Here's another one for my daughter who has cancer. Here's a son and daughter that have left the Lord seeking for their, them to return. This one's for health. Another one for cancer. Many lives are defined by sickness and loss, and I think Christmas time can remind us and heighten the need for hope. Those who have left us physically, those who have strained us emotionally, relationally, those who have left spiritually, we're just like Simeon and Anna. We need hope too. Simeon and Anna needed more than life was offering them. I mean, how do you get through 400 years of silence? How do you endure cultural pressures? How do you endure the self-righteousness of the Pharisees? How do you persevere through life when things don't go through your way? Simeon and Anna remind us of our great need for hope. And I started to think about, okay, well, where do we typically turn for hope? And I just wanna pause for a moment, step away from our passage for just a moment, and try to think, where do we typically look for, for hope? I mentioned the pictures before, the kids were going off taking pictures. And I was reminded of Christmas time. I've got three kids, love to give them gifts. I remember as a kid getting gifts. You can remember, if you think back, you can probably remember the anticipation. You see it in your kids or in your grandkids. The anticipation they have of Christmas coming because they're gonna get something. They're gonna get something that's gonna bring them joy. And I think we have a lot of that throughout our lives not just at Christmas time, not just with a toy. As we go older, the kids, they wanna get a driver's license. They need to figure out what school am I gonna go to? When you're in college or as you're trying to think about your career, if I can just get the right job, if I can get, just get plugged into the right community, if I can just find the right spouse, if I can just build the right relationships, as you get older, if I can just get enough financially in my bank account, then I'll be secure, then I can be okay. If I can just get through this diagnosis. I was teaching a couple weeks ago at uh, Campus Focus and I told them this and I'll share with you, I, I really think uh, sports a lot of times is a microcosm of our society. Um, I, I think for, if you're a football fan in particular, I think August is a wonderful time of year, right? Filled with hope and anticipation of what's to come. But I came across this and I thought I'd just share this. You know, in 1980, the NFL draft was first aired on TV and it's grown in popularity every year. Last year, or I guess it was this year, 2023, 54.5 distinct people, or 54.5 million, that's better. <laughs> a half a person. 54.5 million people turned into the NFL draft. We've given up trying to celebrate our teams and their victories because they're not winning, right? We're gonna celebrate maybe the next guy is the guy that's gonna bring our team hope. Governmental systems, elections, ballot initiatives. How many people put their hope in these things? If we can just elect the right people, if we can just pass the right laws. Listen, these are good and right things. I want just laws. I wanna elect people of integrity, people of character, people that care for the people. But ultimately, hope in these things, they ultimately let you down. You think about work, think about promotions, think about success. I've been a, a, a part of a, 
I helped start a company. 2008, I helped start a brand new company. Got to see that, we built that up. We sold that one in 2011. Built that up again, we sold it in 2020. Built the next one up and sold that one. I have seen, I have witnessed people put all of their career, put all of their life, put all of their energy thinking if I can just build the right company, if I can just achieve the right things in business, my life will bring success. But you know what I've witnessed? I've witnessed people that, who have achieved that success, who have hit the jackpot, so to speak, and their lives are empty and they're meaningless. And they, have, they really struggle with it. They struggle. What do I do? I achieved everything I was hoping for and it let me down. Our reputation, we look there. How do others view you? You work hard to build a reputation. You can never please people enough. You can never realize enough compliments to truly save you and hope and give your meaning life, life meaning. I'm reminded of the saying, if you live by people's acceptance, you die by their rejection. It'll crush you. Volunteering, action, social programs, educational programs. I thank God for schools like Emmanuel Christian. I thank God for educators. I thank God for all the programs that we serve and, and they do good work in the city, but they're never enough. No social program will ever be enough. Our city needs hope and is longing for hope and we're trying to look for it and we're trying to find it. Relationships, marriage, kids, grandkids, friendship. And at this point in the sermon, you're thinking, whoa, this guy was supposed to preach about hope. Like, this is a little bit of a downer. And you're right. I just think there's, life has more to offer than the things that we're pursuing. And I don't want us, church, listen to me, I don't want us to settle for a cheap imitation of hope. We're all in need of hope. And if you don't, if you don't think you need hope, if you think life's pretty good, you think you got life figured out, I think you might be in the most dangerous place of all. Simeon and Anna needed hope, and so do we. That's the first thing we learn. The necessity of hope. The nature of hope. What does this passage teach us about the true nature of hope? Well, I think we learn a few things. Number one, it requires endurance. Simeon was waiting. He endured a lifetime of waiting. It moved from excruciating endurance and God moved him to active anticipation. Look at verse 26. The spirit revealed to Simeon that he would see the Messiah before he died. But he wasn't told the time. He wasn't told the place. He wasn't told how this was gonna happen. Simeon had to be a man of faith. He had to have assurance of things hoped for, a conviction amidst the timing he could not see. Hope requires endurance. And Anna has endurance too. Look at verse 37. It says, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with prayer night and day. Anna, I think, has much to teach us about what it means to be faithful over years and even decades. She has much to teach us about endurance. She persevered. She persevered through hardships. She pressed through the loneliness. How did she do that? Well, it says right there in verse 37, through worship, through fasting, and through prayer. She didn't turn to relationships to endure, although they can help. She didn't turn to a career or a governmental system, although they can help. She didn't look to external success, to, to acts of service. To, she didn't look to her reputation. All those things can be good things, but Anna shows us that God's people in exile, in the waiting, in our endurance, ought to be people who pray. People who worship. 
people who endure. The chapel has been a church that has endured. Almost 90 years now, and we've been through a lot, church. Almost 90 years. But we're, we're marked now by a people who pray, a people who endure. That's why we take time in our worship service to center on prayer. That's why we spend so much time in worship. And notice with Anna, this isn't a one-time thing. It says she did not depart from the temple there in verse 37. I think that's a way of saying she was, she was there a lot. People who knew who she was. Oh, there's Anna. <laughs> Don't mind her. There's Anna. She's back again. Anna didn't give up praying. In fact, I think she's living out what was proclaimed in Isaiah 62. It says this, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Anna was watching. Anna was waiting. She prayed. She didn't lose heart. She endured. Hope requires endurance. The second thing, and I'll be quick with this one, in the endurance, in the waiting, I think we see that hope builds character. Again, very quickly, look at Simeon, verse 25. He's described as being righteous and devout. Righteous means just or, or virtuous, a, a characteristic I think that would have stood out in that time, particularly when you consider how that contrasts with what you see in the Pharisees throughout the New Testament. Devout, that word there, the Greek in, in the devout means pious or reverent. It's the same word used to describe Ananias. If you remember, Paul was going out persecuting the church, right? This is after the ascension of Jesus. Paul's going out persecuting the church and everybody, all the Christians are afraid of him and God comes to, to Paul and blinds him and he says, I need you to go, Ananias. I need you to go. You're gonna restore his sight for me. And when everybody else was afraid, when nobody else would go to Paul, Ananias goes for the sake of the gospel. He was a man of character and I think we see that with Simeon as well. We see Luke assigns Anna a place among the prophets, which, as one commentator put it, she was gifted and unafraid to declare the word of the Lord. Unafraid to declare the word of the Lord. Anna prayed, she fasted, she worshiped. She too had character. And in the waiting, in the endurance, I think Simeon and Anna show that God builds up our character. I find them to be two of the most God-fearing people we meet in all of the Gospels. God often changes us in the waiting. He molds us, he shapes us. Waiting and enduring is hard, not only because of the passage of time, but also because of the work that God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. Hope requires endurance and it builds character. And the last thing we see here about the nature of hope is that hope is personal. I think it can be easy to think of hope in terms of the, of the abstract, a desire that something good may happen one day. Not only that, but we look to good things to satisfy our longings and desires in a way we can't even really describe, but we know we need. But what we learn from this passage and what we learn throughout all of scripture, that hope isn't an abstract concept. Hope is found in a person. The entire context of this passage in verses 22 and 23 is rooted in Exodus 13. The firstborn was to come and be consecrated before the Lord. The entire event that Luke is describing is centered around the fact that there's a firstborn. But Simeon, he didn't long for an event or pursue works to produce his hope. He waited in anticipation for a person. He encountered Jesus. He touched him. He held him. 
he saw him. Simeon and Anna both experienced the benefits of the incarnation. That is Christ himself, God himself came down and took on flesh. All other hope, all other religions, all other movements, all other schools of thought, all of them look to achieve hope. Every religion, every religion except for Christianity, every single one teaches to ascend to something greater than itself. Be the person you want to be. Go do the works that give your life meaning and purpose. Be the agent of change and hope that you want to see. But Christianity teaches, and I think Christmas reminds us, that first hope has to come to us. We can never do it on our own. We can never attain what we really want and where we need to be. The power of Christmas and the root of our hope is found in Christ coming down to us. This is known, like I said, as the incarnation, Christ taking on flesh. The incarnation, Jesus himself coming down from heaven to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, is fiercely relational, fiercely personal, because it's all about a person. It means we can experience hope in ways we never thought we could. Jesus left eternal glory and all of its privileges just to be with us. And he did it to bring us back to him. He did it. He did it to give us hope. We serve a God, a holy God, who we cannot approach on our own. He had to come down to us. And when Jesus comes down, no longer does God say, no man can see my face and live, like he said in Exodus 33. Now, Jesus today says, see my face and be satisfied. Do you desire hope, church? You can't attain it on your own. Do you desire hope? You can't experience it, not true hope, unless you encounter a person. The only one who offers true hope. Jesus, he's alive today, and we can't experience hope without him. Hope is necessary. We all need it. And the nature of hope tells us that it requires endurance. It will build character, and we only experience it through a person. Hope is found in Christ alone. Finally, we see in this passage the impact of hope. Hope has a tremendous impact. Three things, the impact of hope. We saw the necessity of hope. We saw the nature of hope, the impact. Let's look at verse 34. The first thing we see about hope is a little bit unexpected. The first thing we see about hope is that it causes division. Simeon prophesies, he says, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You would think that everyone longing for hope, everyone would embrace it when they find it, but it's simply not so. When you encounter Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, he offers you hope, but many don't take it. And Simeon reveals the division. This should not be a surprise to us. It was prophesied. Isaiah chapter eight, 14 to 15 says this, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. See, when we encounter Jesus, our hearts are revealed in our response to him. You don't say the same when you encounter Jesus. You can't stay the same. He moves you, he changes you. And that's why many, I think, reject him. They want to go their own direction. They want to control their own hope, even if it's futile. 
Genuine hope, I believe, causes division and not all can receive it. Many reject it. You can live your life on your own. You can go try to be your own God. You can try and be an agent of change or you can repent and you can change. You can be part of the few, the remnant who receive him. Hope is divisive. But the second thing we learn about the impact of hope is that it's expansive, expansive. Hope, when received, penetrates down to the deepest parts of our being and out to those around us. Let's look at Simeon, verse 28, how he responded in his encounter with Christ. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people of Israel. Simeon encountered Christ himself. He got to hold the one who created all things, who sustains all things. Simeon didn't need to die to rest in peace. He needed only encounter the Prince of Peace and all of life's worries, all of life's achievements, all of life's fears and anxiety, all that life has to offer faded away because he found hope that transformed it all. It transformed his heart. He experienced a hope that transformed his entire life, entire, every aspect of it. All the presence faded away when he experienced Jesus. All the work faded away when he met his Savior. All the service and education and reputation, it all faded away when he met his Lord. The expanse of the hope wasn't just personal for Simeon, though. No, it was a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Christ came to give hope to the entire world. He doesn't wish any should perish, but desire all to seek repentance. There is no program, no governmental system, no sports team. Nothing has the reach of the hope that Christ offers and nothing can stop its path. Christ gives hope that transforms us and is able, available to both Jew and Gentile alike. If received, it will transform you, it will change you, it can change your friendships, it can change your neighbor, it can change your community. Jesus, Jesus gives us a hope that can live and change across the globe. True hope is divisive, but it's expansive, penetrating deep into our souls and out into the entire world. The last thing we see, the impact of hope, and we see this through Anna, hope is proclaimed. Luke is showing us in this passage that hope is to be proclaimed. We saw how Simeon responded when he met hope, when he found the person of hope, when he met Jesus. Let's look at Anna, verse 38. It says, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him, of him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. See, Anna couldn't keep the hope she found to herself. She had to tell everyone. She evangelized, she shared the good news that Christ has to offer. And notice what Luke says about her audience. They too were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. People all around them were looking for hope, looking for meaning and significance in life. If you remember back to the early part of the service, or part, early part of the sermon, you know, it was a little dark and you're like, man, when is this guy gonna preach about hope? That's your neighbor. That's your community. When am I gonna find hope? True hope, genuine hope. When you find it, it's meant to be proclaimed. Anna didn't view Jesus as a secret hope reserved exclusively for her. God's hope is intended to reach ever outward, to be proclaimed. Psalm 96 says, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. 
Sing and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So from this very short passage, we see three things about hope. We see the necessity of hope. We all need it. We see the nature of hope. It requires endurance. It's gonna build character. It's gonna change you. And it's not abstract. It comes in the form of a person. It's personal. Jesus comes to us, Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation. And we see the impact of hope. It's divisive, not all are willing to accept it. It's expansive, it penetrates down into the deepest part of your hearts and out into the world. And we see that it's to be proclaimed. But my question as we leave here today and as we close, how do we take hold of this hope? How do we, in this Christmas season, spend less time focusing on all the hopes and dreams that will eventually let us down and instead dwell upon a hope that gives us life and brings us purpose? Remember, Advent is a season and a time to reflect and wait. Wait in anticipation to rest in the current hope that we have in the person and work of Jesus and to anticipate his return. And I want to leave you with a passage that I think is going to help us. This passage is found in everyone's favorite book of the Bible, Zephaniah. <laughs> That's not your favorite? Zephaniah chapter 3. You don't have to turn to it. I'll read it to you. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. It says this. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your heart, hands grow weak. And then it says this, The Lord God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Fear not, for the Lord your God is in your midst. He comes as a person. He comes to save. Emmanuel, God with us. The central theme of Christmas. And at the very end of that passage, in chapter 17, it says three things. Three things to remember. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. You see, the more you realize how treasured you are, the more you can root your treasure in Jesus. The more you realize the love that he has for you, the more you can learn to have your heart quieted by his love. The more you realize that Jesus exalts over you with loud singing, the more you can learn to endure and wait and pray and worship in the waiting, to pray and worship over the one who sings over you. Anna experienced a God who loved more, her more than she could ever imagine. She found a savior who, who loved her more than she ever dared dream. She couldn't help but proclaim it. As we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came to earth to be in our midst. He came to save. He came to offer hope. A hope that everyone needs and few find. It requires endurance. It will build your character. But it will never disappoint because God pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He offers us hope that transforms, hope that is to be proclaimed, hope that never fades. He offers us himself, a living hope. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. 
I thank you for the, the, the examples that we see from your word here in Luke chapter two of Simeon and Anna. God, thank you that we don't have to settle for a cheap imitation of hope. When we can't achieve the hope that we're looking for, when we can't achieve all of life's dreams and all of life's desires, and we can certainly never achieve you, Father God, you came down to us and you gave us hope in the form of a person, in the form of a, in a baby, in a, in a manger, Emmanuel, God with us. Hope that never fades. Teach us to be people who pray, people who wait, people who endure. Pray all this in your name, amen. This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.